Well, good morning. Welcome to, uh, to <laughs> I just realized we don't really have a name for this. I don't know what to call this. Uh, Cross to Crown Podcast, Live with Doug. I don't know. If you got a good suggestion for a name, then throw it at me. Anyway, welcome. Glad you're with us. My name is Doug. We gather here 7.30 a.m. live on YouTube and Facebook and Twitter to uh, to study the Bible together. Good morning, Karen. I see you got your a cup of coffee. Good, good. Good morning, Keith. Glad that you are with us. And, uh, and salute to our neighbors to the north, at least if you are in the U.S. Uh, pray for Canada. Pray for the truckers there. Uh, I think what they're doing is a good thing. Uh, You know, we're hearing more reports of pastors and church leaders in Canada uh, being um, squashed by the government. Tyranny is an evil thing, and uh, we should be praying that the Lord would uh, would spare them from the tyranny and uh, that the people in the uprising, the protesting, might uh, cause other would-be tyrannical governments to... uh, to take a, a take pause and reconsider. So anyway, we pray for them. Pray that the Lord would uh, would overturn the mess there, and especially for Christians, for pastors, for those who are preaching the the gospel, that they would uh, have the freedom to do that. So anyway, that's uh, that's a big deal, and so keep your eye on that and keep praying. All right, so we are continuing with our study of uh, the law of Moses. <coughs> Excuse me, this cough just will not let up. It's been uh, almost four weeks now. The law of Moses and the law of Christ. And uh, today we're going to uh, look at what the Apostle Paul has to say about the law, at least one of the areas. Now, if you've been with us in this series and in the previous series on the Sabbath, you know that I have distinguished between the, uh, the view of theology called systematic theology and the view called biblical theology. And I have warned you of the dangers of systematic theology. Uh, When we create filters, systems, categorical doctrines, and then read the Bible to try to see what heading they fit under, and, and we try to systematize the Bible's teaching in that way, we are in grave danger of imposing upon the text uh, our view of things, and that happens a lot. Uh, biblical theology, on the other hand, looks at any particular text in the Scripture and asks the question, especially the Old Testament, uh, asks the question, how does this text or this person or this event or whatever is, is revealed here, how does this point to Christ? Because we know from the teaching of Jesus himself that Moses wrote about him, that the law and the prophets and the Psalms, it's all about Jesus. We know that. So we need to be reading the Old Testament to see how does this prepare for Christ, point to Christ, predict Christ, prophesy of Christ, all those kind of things. Well, today we're going to see that that's exactly how how the Apostle Paul handled the law of Moses. And I'm going to show you in Galatians Paul doesn't look at uh, the law from a systematic perspective, but from a biblical theology perspective, from a uh, how does this point to Christ perspective. What is the role of the law in the history of redemption to get to Christ? Now, it's, uh, it's a little bit thick. That's why I said in the, uh, at the beginning here, it's, uh, you might need an extra cup of coffee. It gets a little, a little uh, thick here, and I'm going to go slowly through it, 
and try to help you. But at the end, I will, uh, I'll summarize it for you in a way that I think will help you see it. So Galatians chapter three, let's, uh, let's take a look at this. Paul uh, says this to the, uh, the Galatians. This is the only thing I want to find out from you. Now, right away, if you notice a little bit of uh, uh, sarcasm or if this sounds a little pointed, this is the only thing I want to find out from you. It is. Uh, Paul, if you've read Galatians recently, you may notice something. When Paul begins this letter, he doesn't do any of the sort of nice warm welcome that he does in all of his other letters. You know, he'll say, greetings, I'm praying for you. I take joy in you. I give thanks for you. That's how he typically uh, starts his letters. That's not how he starts Galatians. He goes, wham, right in. Um, I'm shocked, he says, at how quickly you've abandoned the gospel. That's his sort of his introductory (laughs) remarks. And he doesn't let up. I just read to you Galatians 3, 2, but let me just back up and show you how he begins this chapter, uh, chapter 3, verse 1. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? All right, he, he is now convinced these Galatians are under some kind of a spell. That's what be, bewitching means. You, someone has cast a spell on you. you. Some warlock, some wizard has come and, and said hocus pocus and, and made fools of you. It's pretty serious what he's talking about here. So he says, this is the one thing. This is the one thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? See that? Here's the question. Here's my one question. You've received the Spirit, you Galatians. Did you receive God's Spirit by keeping the law of Moses or by hearing faith, believing that what you heard. Uh, now, obviously the answer he is looking for is they received the spirit by hearing of faith, not by works of the law. Think about the promise of the new covenant. Think about your own experience. Now, I grew up in a home that, uh, that preached the gospel. Uh, I grew up in, in the church. I don't remember, <laughs> I don't remember a time uh, when I didn't know Jesus, didn't believe Jesus. Now, obviously, I was not born uh, a Christian. None of us are. We're all born sinners. So somewhere in my life, I actually came to real faith in the Lord. But my, my conversion is what I call a boring conversion. All right, I didn't have this long period of great rebellion uh, where I was in, in you know, drugs and sleeping around and and stealing and and just living a life of debauchery and angry and whatever you know all, all that I didn't I didn't have that and then wham suddenly the Lord grabbed a hold of me and I put my faith in Jesus and he filled me with his spirit and, and now I'm walking in righteousness that that's not my experience now that may be the experience of many of you uh, some of you are probably like me you grew up believing you may think you came to faith, you know, at a young age, five and five years old, nine years old, 12 years old, whatever. Others of you, it was a dramatic conversion. Well, for these Galatians, it was a dramatic conversion, all of them, because Galatia was a pagan region. So all these people lived their lives serving idols, worshiping idols. You know, they would, they would carve a piece of rock into a, an idol and say, that's God or multiple God. You know, they would burn their incense to Zeus and, uh, and, and offer sacrifices to Athena and all the rest. And then Paul or somebody showed up and preached the gospel of Jesus Christ to them. 
and they heard it and they believed it. And then what happened? Then the spirit came upon them. You remember, this is a promise that, uh, that Peter talks about in, uh, in the day, on the day of Pentecost in Acts. Let me show you. Peter's preaching to the Jews here and he says, repent, that's change your mind about who Christ is, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Notice the order. Repentance is first and then baptism. Some of you got that backwards. Baptism shouldn't come first. Repentance comes first. Let each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And what will happen? And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Right? That's one of the promises of the new covenant. Uh, actually, both promises are listed there. If you believe in Jesus, you receive forgiveness and you receive <coughs> the Spirit of God. So for these Galatians, they heard the gospel, they believed the gospel, and then God gave them his spirit just like he promised. So Paul is asking them a rhetorical question from their own experience here in Galatians. Here's the one thing I'm asking. Did you receive the spirit by works of the law? No, but by hearing of faith. So let me add a little more historical context here. So again, these Galatians were pagans. They hear the gospel and they become Christians and they're filled with the spirit. And the spirit is manifesting himself. He's, he's performing miracles in their midst and, and people are speaking in tongues and all of these things that show God has, is doing something here. Then the Jews showed up. Remember, we've talked about this in past series. Wherever Paul went, wherever the gospel went, the Jews followed close behind uh, and they tried to say to these Christians, okay, we're glad that you believe in Jesus, but now to please God, you need to be circumcised and you need to keep the law of Moses because God has given his law to us and you need to keep them. You need to keep the Sabbath and you need to keep all the rest of the laws as well. And so Paul is constantly having to correct that and warn the church, those who believe the gospel, not to be persuaded by these Judaizers, not to go back to that old covenant law. And here he's saying, did you receive the spirit by works of the law? No. Don't listen to those Judaizers. Don't listen to those Jews. God has proven he's accepted you by filling you with his spirit. And you receive the spirit by faith, not by works of the law. All right, you tracking with me? Then he asks another pointed rhetorical question. Are you so foolish? That's twice in two verses. He's referring to these people as fools. Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Now notice that flesh here is parallel with works of the law. If you follow the New Testament teaching, we, you've been taught, most of you have been taught, that flesh is basically synonymous with sinful desires. Friends, that is not the way the New Testament primarily uses the word flesh. Flesh is either, most of the time, is either talking about your actual body or it's talking about Jews and tying the flesh to circumcision and being under the law. Now, we don't have time to go into that now, but maybe we'll do another series on that, but that will... 
transform your reading of the New Testament if you first and foremost think of flesh as the Jews circumcised in the flesh under the law. And that's, you see the parallel here. Are you now being perfected by the flesh? He said, did you receive the spirit by the law? Are you being perfected by the flesh? Those are parallel. And faith and the spirit are parallel. You receive the spirit by faith. Works of the law has to do with the flesh being circumcised and under that law. Now, again, some of you have been taught that justification is by faith alone. And justification, just in case this is new to any of you, justification (coughs) is a forensic term. So some of you like to watch uh, shows like CSI, right? Or in CSI. And you hear the term forensic, forensic science, for instance. And you might think that forensic science is something like having to do with details because they, you know, they find the one hair on the one rock in the middle of nowhere that solves the, <laughs> solves the case. And we think it has to do with uh, these, this careful scientific inquiry. That is not what forensic means. Forensic means courtroom. It has to do with the courtroom. Forensic science is science that is trying to help solve a case in the courtroom. Well, justification is a forensic term. It has to do with the court of law. What is your biggest problem? What is my biggest problem? What is the biggest problem of every human being on planet Earth? It's that we are guilty of sin before the ultimate judge, right? You've sinned, I've sinned, everyone has sinned. And when we stand before a a righteous judge who knows everything, he's going to make a declaration. He's going to render a verdict on judgment day. And if you're guilty, he's going to declare you guilty. So our most desperate need is to be declared righteous. And that's the heart of the gospel. If you believe in Jesus, then you receive his righteousness. And now on judgment day, God will declare you righteous. Because he's not looking at your works, he's looking at Jesus's works. That's the heart of the gospel. So we make a big deal of that, and rightfully so. It's the heart. Of, it's it's the reason we have hope after death is that we will stand before him, and he'll declare us righteous on judgment day. But systematicians, systematic theology, will often make a hard, fast distinction between justification, what I was just describing, and sanctification our growth in righteousness. Now, that's a a good thing to do. The Bible does distinguish those things. But here's what we'll often hear from systematic theologians when they come to Galatians. When they come to this book, this letter we're talking about, they will argue that Paul is saying through this whole section that you cannot be justified by keeping the law of Moses because none of us can keep it perfectly but we are to be sanctified by keeping the law of Moses, or at least the Ten Commandments of the law of Moses. That is not what Paul is saying. Paul is saying you can't be sanctified by keeping the law of Moses. Look what he says here. Are you foolish, having begun by the Spirit? That's justification. Having begun your journey with Christ, having believed the gospel and received justification, having begun by the Spirit through faith, are you now being perfected 
by the flesh? Are you now continuing your Christian life, your your sanctification, your growth in Christ, your your reaching that end goal, that perfection? Are you now doing that by the flesh, which is synonymous with works of the law? If you think you can be sanctified, perfected, finish what God's called you to do by the flesh, by the works of the law, you're a fool. You you can't. Everything is by faith in Christ, by his spirit. Skipping on to verse five. So then does he who provides you with the spirit and works miracles among you, does he do it by works of the law or by hearing of faith? or hearing with faith? The obvious answer is hearing with faith. The one who does all of his work in your heart, in your life, and among the the church, does so by, by faith and through the power of his spirit. And to make his point, he's going to go back to Abraham. Now, do you know your biblical history? Does anybody happen to know approximately when Abraham lived? I'll give you a moment to, uh, to see if you have an answer here. <coughs> uh, we, just in round numbers, anybody know when Abraham lived? Abraham is way back in Genesis chapter 12, and God made great promises to Abraham. As you're reading through the Old Testament, you've got Adam, and you've got the fall, you've got the Tower of Babel. Maybe something big happened before the Tower of Babel, right? Noah and the, and the, and the flood. And then, and then in chapter 12, you have Abraham. I see Lon says 4,000 years ago. Yes, which is 2,000 BC, roughly, in round numbers. Very good. Yeah, so Abraham was around 2,000 BC. So that's Genesis chapter 12. God calls Abraham in Genesis 12, 2,000 BC. Moses and the law was approximately 500 years later, give or take. So around 1500 BC. Okay. So before the law, 500 years before the law was given to Israel and Moses, God called Abraham and he, you know, told him, said, look out at the stars in the sky, look all around you. I'm going to bless you with more descendants than there are stars in the sky. And the scripture says that when Abraham believed the promise of God, God justified him. This happens in Genesis chapter 15, verse 6. God declared him righteous. And Paul quotes that here. Even so, even as, I, even as your sanctification, your, your um, uh, work of the Spirit, all the things that God does is by faith, so it was true of Abraham. Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Now, this is justification, okay? But he's making the point that all of it, justification and sanctification, everything, it's not by works of the law, it's through faith. Faith, faith, faith. So Abraham believed God, not worked for God, but he believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Therefore, be sure that it is those who are of faith who are sons of Abraham, not those who keep the law of Moses, those who are of faith. If you today, if you are a Christian and you believe the gospel of Jesus Christ, you are one of those promised to Abraham that he would have more sons and there are stars in the sky. You are a son of Abraham. 
if you believe the gospel. It's not about law keeping. It's not about having uh, your your uh, your genetic line back to Abraham. It's about faith. He goes on. The scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. You're a Gentile probably. You've been justified not by works of the law, but by faith. The scripture saw that was going to happen. God, This was God's plan from the very beginning. It preached the gospel. The scripture preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, and all the nations will be blessed in you. And here's where it, again, can get kind of thick if we're not careful. Way back in Genesis 12, God promised to bless the entire world, all the nations of the world. He said, I will bless you. I will bless them rather in Abraham. Paul is telling us what God meant by that. When God said, Genesis 12, all the nations will be blessed in you, he meant, I will justify the Gentiles by faith. Imagine that. If you became a Christian recently, well, in your lifetime, obviously, 4,000 years ago, God said to Abraham, I'm going to bless all the nations in you, in your seed, in your offspring. You coming to faith, me coming to faith. (coughs) 4,000 years later is a fulfillment of that promise to Abraham. So then he says, those who are of faith, not works of the law, those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham, the believer. Okay, so what about those who are under the law of Moses? What's their status? Look at verse 10. For as many as are of the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, this is in the Old Testament, cursed is everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law to perform them. If you want to place yourself under the law, even under the Ten Commandments, you're placing yourself under a curse unless you keep it perfectly. Do you know anyone that has kept the Ten Commandments perfectly? Have you done it? No. Then why would you want to be placed under that law? That's going to bring a curse because the law says everyone who doesn't keep the law perfectly is cursed by God. You're to be judged by God. Guilty. That no one is justified by the law before God is evident. For, and he quotes Habakkuk here, the righteous man shall live by faith. However, the law is not of faith. On the contrary, he who practices them shall live by them. You see that? The law is not about belief. The law is about practice. It's about works. It's about doing. God gave the law and said, I expect you to do my law. And if you don't, I'll curse you. But the new covenant, faith, is the heart of of the new covenant and receiving the spirit by faith. Paul says, for the Jews here, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. So the Jews who believed in the law, who believed in Jesus are rescued. They're redeemed from that curse because he, Jesus, became a curse for them. And again, quote in the Old Testament, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Uh, the next section here, verse 14, is is rich. It's wonderful, but again, it gets pretty thick. So I'm going to save that for another time when we study um, uh, Galatians, possibly. So let me continue his line of thinking. Brethren, I speak in terms of human relations, 
even though it's only a man's covenant, yet when it has been ratified, no one sets it aside or adds conditions to it. Okay, so if I sign a contract on a new house, covenant and contract, by the way, are, are two, two words that basically describe the same thing. Covenants are basically contracts. They're packs. So I sign a, con- a contract on a new house. And I agree to buy this house for $300,000, okay? Once the contract is signed and it's done, all right, it's a done deal, right? And, uh, and so now we just have to, uh, both me and the seller, we have to, to fulfill the terms of the contract. Once that contract is, is settled and it's done, I can't go later and change it, right? So... Uh, if I say, okay, yeah, I will buy that house for $300,000. We sign it. It's a, it's a done deal. It's closed. Everything's done. I can't go back to the seller later and say, hey, by the way, I want you to add a, uh, a, a, a sunroom on the back. Okay, that's what I want now. And that guy would come and say, no, we signed a contract. Uh, I, I'm selling you the house as is. That, that's the deal. No, no, I want a, I want a sunroom put on the back. No, the terms of the contract are settled. I can't change it later. And he can't come back to me and say, by the way, I want $400,000 for it. No, I'm not going to pay you $400,000 because the contract says $300,000. We settled on that. We signed it. It's a done deal. So Paul is saying that's how it works even in human relations. See, I'm speaking in terms of humans. Even though a man's covenant or a man's contract, when it has been ratified, no one sets it aside or adds conditions to it. Once, a, once we have a contract, that settles the deal. So now he's going to say, when God made a covenant, a contract with Abraham, nothing that happened later can change the terms of that contract with Abraham, right? So I've already told you, Abraham was approximately 2000 BC. Moses came uh, not quite 500 years later. Whatever God's contract, his covenant with Abraham was, what came next cannot change God's contract with Abraham. Are you following? That's what he says here. The promises were spoken to Abraham. The promise that all the nations will be blessed in you and so on. And they were promised to him and to his seed. If you go back and look at the promises, that's what he says. I will bless you and your seed, your offspring, your descendants. Now, Paul brings a very careful distinction here. He does not say, and to seeds, plural. In fact, I just misspoke because I said descendants, but it's actually descendant in the Hebrew, in the Old Testament. And Paul says that it's not to seeds, but to one. And that he says, the seed is Christ. This is profound. If you, if you haven't seen this before, when God says to Abraham, I will bless you and your seed, Paul is telling us that meant Christ. Remember I said, we are to read the Old Testament and say, how does this point to Christ? How in the story is this related to Jesus? Well, Paul is telling us here, the promises to Abraham were fulfilled in Christ. It's all about Christ. Okay, so if you are a Jew and you're listening to this, Abraham, I said, happened in Genesis chapter 12. That's the beginning of the story of of, uh, Abraham. 
Moses and the law came, you know, 430, 500 years later in the book of Exodus, right? That's when we get Moses and the law, the Ten Commandments, the, all of those things. Exodus is the second book of the Bible. Exodus through Malachi, the rest of the Old Testament is all about the Jewish people, with one exception, the, the book of Job. But the rest of the Old Testament, from Exodus through Malachi, it's all about Israel. It's all about the law. It's all about the Jewish people. So think about it. Genesis 12, God makes his promises to Abraham. We get to Exodus. Now the, the plan for Israel starts. And the rest of the Bible in the next 1,500 years, it's all about the Jews. And Paul just said God made promises to Abraham that are fulfilled in Christ 2,000 years later. And if you're a Jew sitting there, you're going, wait a minute. Okay, what's the point of the law? What's the point of everything that happened between Abraham and Jesus? Can you see the question there? Look again what Paul says here. What I'm saying is this. The law, which came 430 years later, 430 years later after Abraham, and I rounded it off to 500, but he's being more precise here. That law that God made, the law of Moses, does not invalidate a covenant previously ratified by God so as to nullify the promise. The promises God made to Abraham are not changed in any way by the law of Moses and the covenant with Israel. The promises leapfrog over all of that to get to Christ, and what happened 430 years later does nothing to the promises that God made with Abraham. For, he says, if the inheritance, if the blessing is based on law, keeping the law of Moses, then the inheritance is no longer based on a promise. But God granted to Abraham by means of a promise. Right? You see that? Let me illustrate it here with a little uh, little graphic for those of you who are, are visual in nature. God made promises to Abraham. And just summarizing those promises here, he said, all the nations will be blessed in you and your seed. He promises justification. He declares him righteous and this, this gospel will be preached to all the nations of the earth. He promised that all those who believe will be his sons. He's going to have many, many sons. And that's described as an inheritance. Paul is saying that was all fulfilled in Christ 2,000 years later. And that nothing that happens between Abraham and Christ can do anything to change the promise of Abraham and the fulfillment in Christ. So we can, we can stop reading the Bible at Genesis 12 and skip to Matthew in the coming of Christ and get God's plan for the nations, his plan for the world. That's what he's saying. Which begs a huge question. Again, Exodus, the second book of the Bible, all the way through the end of the Old Testament. It's all about Israel. It's all about the Jews. It's all about the law. And the minute details, 613 commandments we've talked about, and the priests and all, all of those things. If you are a Jew listening to Paul say this, there's a massive question that's come, going to come to your mind. It is this. Why the law? Why the Ten Commandments? 
Why 1,500 years and book after book after book after book of the Old Testament describing the law of Moses? Why this covenant? That's what he says. Back to Galatians. Verse 19, why the law then? Why do we need the law? It was because of transgressions. It was added because of transgressions. What does that mean? For that, you're going to have to come back tomorrow. (laughs) We will answer the question what he means by the law was added for transgressions. So think this through today. God's plan, his beautiful, his wonderful plan was really amplified. The, the, the keys were, were given to Abraham and fulfilled in Christ. And Paul's going to tell us why you have the rest of the Old Testament, and particularly the law of Moses, how that points to and prepares for Christ. And we will look at that tomorrow. Have a great day. God's blessing to you. We'll see you at 7.30 a.m. Mountain Time tomorrow morning.